Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links so you can purchase the music you hear on the show, either in MP3 format or CD format. And a little bit of that purchase price comes back to benefit the Jazz Session. And you'll find a donate button if you'd like uh, all of a donation to come and benefit the show. You can use the secure donate button and give a little back. Also, if you think that you or the company you work for or own or a company you're familiar with might be interested in helping to underwrite the Jazz Session, uh, I'd be very interested in talking to you. And you can find out how to reach me through the contact page at thejazzsession.com. Recently, I uh, spent a week uh, in New York City, and uh, while there, rode my bike uh, from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, where I was staying, across the Brooklyn Bridge, and uh, out into uh, one of the really interesting neighborhoods of Brooklyn. And uh, I won't say anything more about that, just to you know protect the geographical privacy of today's guest. Uh, but it was a really fun ride, and at the end of it was uh, a very uh, warm welcome from Shane Ensley, who uh, plays trumpet in the band Knee Body and also has many projects of his own that he's involved with. Kneebody has a new album on the Winter and Winter label called You Can Have Your Moment, and it begins with a track that is a composition of Shane's and is named after one of the creepiest toys of my childhood. It's called Teddy Ruxpin. Shane Ensley, he's part of the band Knee Body, they've got a brand new album on Winter and Winter called You Can Have Your Moment, and uh, Shane, it's great to have you here, thanks for being on the show. Man, thank you so much. So, I, I, I love this record, uh, this record has been on repeat in my CD player ever since it uh, came in the mailbox, oh, and cool. one of the things I, I like um, most about it is that it, 
it really sounds incredibly joyful. It sounds like you guys are just having a blast playing what you're playing. Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about the session for this and the kind of development of the music that's on this? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, that's a. Uh, I'm glad to hear that was your response because, uh, I mean, first of all, for us as a, a band, like when we play, we really are joyful. Like, I think 90% of the time, um, which is part of why the band has been able to keep going for around 10 years now. And um, all of us are really uh, close friends, and it really is our like pet project and our baby. And so when we play, it's it still feels like that's like cool. We're doing it, our band, you know. So, yeah. Um, so that's the general feeling, and I'm glad to hear that that is maybe coming across in the music. And um, you know, this particular session really did feel especially like that. Actually, like this is our third real like studio recording. And both of the previous ones, like we would finish tracking, and then we like to take more time to overdub and add layers and chop things up and kind of really not think like a jazz, um, you know, traditional jazz band at that time, but like, okay, so we've recorded this music, but this is raw material that we can mess with and edit and filter and whatever we want to do. And, um, and we really in enjoyed that, but then we also had this feeling like, well, we're not quite capturing what we do live, like the studio recordings are fairly different from the way we sound live, you know, the way we treat the material is kind of different. But with this recording it felt like finally we did one and we didn't really hardly overdub anything, like we did a couple of fixes and add a little something here or there. Like pretty much it's mostly just playing straight through and adding like a little texture maybe here and there. And we were all really excited about that. It's like great we don't have to add anything. It felt like an achievement. This is how we play live. And um, and so I think we're all really proud of that aspect of this of this record. Was that a conscious decision going into it, or did you kind of listen back to the tracks and think, you know, this really doesn't need anything more than it's got? Yeah, it was the the latter, just like no real plan as far as that. In fact, I think we kind of assumed that we would do our usual thing, like, okay, great, now let's get out the melodica and let's run it through the sans amp and blah, like all this right. stuff. But then we would just listen back and it's like, man, that's great. We don't need to put anything in there. It's like one thing leads to the next and everybody's playing. In particular, Nate, our drummer, Nate Wood, and Kaveh Rastagar, our bass player, I personally was noticing during the session that they just seemed like they had this real focus. They play so well together and they just had like uh, these two days of like just being really just in tune with each other and every take was just like, when, when we got done it's like, yeah, you guys sound great, you know? <laughs> Let's just go back and clean up the, you know, take another pass at the trumpet solo, but, you know? <laughs> but they, they, yeah, they had like a really good session and they brought a lot of their like live performance energy into that studio session, which is great because it's hard to get that usually, you know? Yeah. You know? Can you talk about, uh, for folks who might not be familiar with me, by how you guys met and how the band uh, got started a decade ago? Yeah, sure. Uh, the band officially started in Los Angeles about 10 years ago, and we were all living there at that time but uh, and playing together in different projects as sidemen. But most of us knew each other from beforehand. Uh, Kave, the bass player, and myself, uh, Shane, we grew up in Denver, and we're about the same age, so we knew each other the end of like high school we finally met through musical circles we didn't go to school together but then uh, so we he and I started playing and got a really fast friendship and musical friendship right away and I left to go to school at Eastman which is the conservatory up in Rochester New York and that's where I met um, Ben Wendell our saxophonist and Adam Benjamin who plays Fender Rhodes in the group and so we went to school together for a few years there all of us ended up out living in Los Angeles and uh, Adam was going to Cal Arts University, just above north of LA, and Nate, Wood, our drummer, was there, and so that's how we kind of got that final 
uh, component, and um, and so uh, that's that's the basic backstory. It's like we know each other from college or from from Denver, and then that was finally our project where we're like, okay, we're all here in town, and we're kind of starting to hear this kind of music, write some music together. So um, we started to uh, actually the quartet without me, um, with those four guys, started playing weekly at this club, the Temple Bar, which is in Santa Monica, is no longer there. But so they had like a regular, just like Monday night play a set and they had all this like cool new music and they made a record of that band called Wendell and I made a record of my own separately hiring all those guys that can just come play my music and then out of that I have both those records do you have both of those okay I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so second guess was my record and then, and then so out of those two records we got the initial material to start Kneebody we're like well let's just put these projects together you know make them one thing instead of like Shane does his gig one night and you know it was cool. It was interesting because the stuff I was writing was actually structurally a little different than what they were doing. Like they were playing music that had very little. There was actually there was improvisation, but there wasn't very much soloing at all. Mm-hmm. So it was a quartet, like an instrumental quartet, but very rarely would some someone actually step out and play like a real like linear, active like jazz solo, quote unquote. Um, it was more about like textural group improvising and you know, making really specific parts and blending tones and trying to, like, make sort of, like, a new approach. And that was a conscious decision, like, well, let's do something else, you know. And they memorized everything right from the beginning. They're like, we're going to learn all this stuff, even though it's intricate. And then, for me, I was still bringing in charts and was having stuff that was more like, well, here's this section, A section, here's this section, B section, here's the material, learn both parts, and I'm going to cue us in between and kind of move things around and just keep your head up because it's nothing is set, you know. Just here's the, the stuff, and I'm going to just keep moving us through it. So when we put it together, it's like we had these really different approaches. You know, we'd play one song and just go straight through, and everyone knew exactly what their part was going to be. And then we get to my tune, it's going to be wide open. And it took us, it's taken us a while to really, you know, just kind of negotiate that, that divide and try and make the, the sound of the band more uniform, which now I, I feel like we have, like, the last couple few years, we finally got, like, a good middle ground with everything. So now that the, you've arrived at a uniform sound, do you still have those kind of internal structural differences? Like, here's one of Shane's tunes, and this is structured this way, and here's some, one of Ben's tunes, and this is structured a different way. Is that still Yeah, in general, that's how we still do it. And then people take turns kind of like taking a stab at the other guy's style. Like, uh, Ben and Adam have both kind of written songs sort of emulating what the other guy would normally do. Yeah, I don't, even th- I don't know if they would start consciously, but, you know, like Ben had this one song he was writing, and he's like, I think he probably just realized, like, well, this really seems like an Adam song and the way we play it, you know. But in general, those roles have kind of stayed the same, and then now it just makes a more natural balance, and we kind of think about the sets in that way, like, we have these songs that, you know, Kaveh will write, these, like, really pretty, short, anthemic, you know, more like kind of really rock, like, um, indie rock-oriented tunes. And those serve, like, a real purpose in the middle of one of our sets of, like, after one of my songs, where it's like, we're really stretching and playing, and it's super active and lots of busy, high-energy action or whatever, and then we can have a nice foil to that. Okay, now Kaveh's piece gives us and the listener something else, um, you know, and, and Ben and Adam, everyone has, like, really distinct voices that now, you know, like, they all become a foil for each other. You know? Yeah.
interested by how much of that kind of thing happens as the result of conversations that the band members have, and how much just kind of develops organically in the course of playing with one another. How much do you guys plot out, for example, here's what a concert's going to look like, or mm -hmm. here's what this album's going to contain? Right. How much do you have to explicitly talk about that? Um, well, we talk quite a bit, uh, and I think we just try and recognize what's happening, you know, naturally, and just talk about it. It's like, oh, when we do these songs without improvisation, it seems like this is the effect that we get. Like a lot of times when we play those songs, it's like, oh, it seems like it helps us focus. We can kind of get our sound together. The band starts to blend. You know, we can just kind of, we know what the parts are, so we can kind of just focus on some other things for a minute. Um, so uh, we talk about that stuff a lot, it's mostly with, in, in regard to playing live. Like I think for recording, like we just end up with a bunch of songs and we're like, well, here's our new songs and let's, hope they turn into a record <laughs> right you know? this last one i think was particularly like all the tunes really seem to fit together it's like and and the ones before that maybe not quite as much i felt like I, I, I like both of the previous records but i think that the tunes weren't as much like a complete or like sort of unified statement as, mm. as this one my personal opinion on that i don't want to speak for anybody else <laughs> in the band at all but but um but yeah we talk a lot man like we whenever we are on tours like you know we're all kind of obsessed with our band, at least with what we're doing it, you know, so we're always talking about like, you know, these these things, always like how to how to put the stuff together. Can you talk about how you guys uh, ended up on Winter and Winter? I know you've got uh, previous work on Winter and Winter too, how did that come about? Um, that came about through um, Theo Blackman, who's mm -hmm. a great vocalist, and we started to do a project with him as part of this, um, this gig we got at the Munich uh, Opera Festival, the festival, and um, we were like a new music component to that. It's just mostly just opera, and then they have one other like ensemble. It's like, well, this is new music, and then somehow they're going to be incorporated into like a classical music setting. So we were doing a few different collaborations. One was with uh, Soul Percussion, great percussion quartet. The records for Steve Reich and does their own stuff on Cantaloupe Records. And um, and then Theo Blackman, we decided. Uh, you know, so it was suggested to us by the, the conductor and kind of runner, operator of the festival, Kent Nagano. He's like, why don't you guys do some Ives music, Charles Ives music? And um, that sounded great to us, and Theo seemed like the natural uh, fit. And I knew him a little bit, but mostly we didn't really, we hadn't worked together or anything. So we did the project for that gig, and we all loved it, and it felt really strong. It's like, this is great, let's keep doing this. And then Theo has been recording on Winter and Winter. I was like, I think... Um, Two or three albums. Yeah, his already. new one is just coming out. Now. Just coming yeah. out now. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be on the show a few weeks after you. So. Oh, great, yeah. cool. So, um, yeah, so Theo kind of brokered the whole thing. He wrote to Stefan and said, "What about this project?" And Stefan, you know, liked it and said yes. So. And then now, you know, he, uh, you know, Stefan has said like he likes to try and have long relationships with artists. So he kind of said from the beginning, it's like, well, let's talk about recording future stuff. So we're really happy to, you know, keep an affiliation with him and that label. And what is he like as a as a producer? What was it like uh, in the studio in terms of the, the labels input, if, if any? Yeah, it was, um, you know, from the Ives record was pretty different from this record. The Ives record, he was actually there in the studio, and it was the first time for us as a band to really have a producer in the mix, because we always just do our own thing. And uh, Nate, our drummer, is a gifted uh, engineer and has plenty of gear, so he can we can do everything in-house. But so this was a really interesting thing to for the first time to have somebody else listening and then giving input and uh and overall we really liked it. Like he's so experienced and he has and he would kind of shake things up more. He's like, Well what if we just, you know, try playing this differently and don't do that part as long and 
and it was cool just to have you know you know change it so by the time the third time we're trying the same song it's like now we have a new approach to it and so that ended up being um cool it was successful and it felt good to have him there and the way it worked out for our next recording was that just logistically it was easier for us to just do it out in Los Angeles and he didn't he wasn't going to be able to make it so we just did it and we sent it to him and um and we just shared some notes back and forth via email and um and then that was that was it so it was much less hands-on for this record than the previous one you mentioned in the beginning the difference between uh in previous records the the way you approach studio recording kind of using the studio as an instrument and, mm -hmm. and the live experience with mm -hmm. Buddy. can you talk more about what the live experiences like do you guys do a lot of kind of on stage processing and use effects and those kinds of things that you do in the records yeah we do almost uh, everybody except our drummer has some kind of electronics that they play through uh so ben and i the saxophone player and trumpet player we both play through a few things um some distortion or ring modulation or delay and then uh so the same with bass and uh, fender Rhodes with kave and adam they they both run through a few things so we have um yeah, we kind of go through these big, like, kind of electronic, textural, big things, and then we like to really shut all that stuff down and then have these really, like, acoustic, soft, like, chamber music, string quartet-ish type of moments. And um, one, one thing that we use particularly a lot live and we've tried to use more and more on these recordings is something that's, I think, maybe the most kind of unique or interesting part of the band is that we have this uh, musical language that we've created so that any of us at any time can um, can signal spontaneous changes in the music, and we do it all through through musical phrases. <clears throat> so um, you know we'll have like a phrase like you play these little five note you know thing. If I play that, that means we're gonna stop where we are. So if we're in the middle of a chord progression, we just stop on this chord or these couple chords, and we're just gonna play what we're doing now for a while. And then if I go, we go on, you know. Um, there's stuff like that. We can change the, the key of a song. We can change the tempo in a few different ways. We can change who's playing. We can reorchestrate. You know, I can play like a series of phrases. And each of us in the band has a little phrase that's our individual name. So I can play this thing and just call out, you know, musically call out people. Drums, bass, tenor sax, go. And so then we have a new trio section. So it's like we... Uh, I mean, that thing is pretty well developed now. I think we have something like 30-some cues that we've tried to make it really complete now. I mean, we stumbled on this kind of naturally. Like, we had a couple cues that we used for, for endings of, you know, anywhere. We can end any tune with this, like, little lick. With, with the equivalent of, like, ba da ba 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 You know, right. <laughs> the R version of that. You know, and so it kind of just kind of spawned out of that. It's like, well, what if we had another, like, we did that, and then we stopped, and then we could change the tempo by playing, you know, and sort of... So now this stuff is really developing, so we can arrange and like kind of produce the music on the spot, and it's going to sound like it's all like written out, like some big, you know, plotted scheme for like oh, and then five minutes into the tenor sax solo, everyone stops and plays slower, and then the keyboard is going to do this loop that the tenor saxophone started, you know. But we just do that on the fly, and and that's been actually one of the things that's helped us to unify that um, sound of the band, you know, to go take us in between having these really open raw material improvisations and these like carefully structured short vignette songs and then now we have this thing where we can organize the improvising so it sounds more like the structured like written out stuff but then we're still improvising and and having the same kind of fun as when you're playing you know standards and when you're playing free music but it also has the impact of like 
that kind of pop sensibility of like, well, we're all playing together and we're going to make the hit on the downbeat. Boom, it's going to be big. We're going to start doing these hits together. And so we can maintain that, that aspect of our band without having to plan everything out, you know? Yeah. Oh, that sounds really, really fun. Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. Look at it yeah. here to remember what's involved. It got spread around pretty evenly on this. Um, let me see, we have a few of my tunes. Um, and most of these we've been playing for the last few years, so by the time we you know, recorded, they were pretty well developed. Cave uh, con contributed a couple like of his of tunes, which is so classically his. There's this one called The Blind. And, um, where's the other one? Oh, yeah, You Can Have Your Moment, the title track is his. And what makes those things classically uh, common? Well, he, he, he lets write these like really moody, kind of like slow, heavy sort of ballads, you know. And, but they're like rock ballads, it's like, you know, you're still kind of playing pretty heavy and he usually distorts and kind of like digs in. And, and he has a couple tunes like that on here which are just great. And this really, he has such a unique sense of melody, you know, it's like, it's going along kind of standard harmony. It's like, oh, okay, one chord major and there's four chords minor. And all of a sudden there's like these little twists and turns, which, you know, I've known him since he was 18 or 19 and he always could do that. You know, he's like writing this rock song, but there's something very artful and unique and different about the way he does it. And it's like, oh, this is instantly some other kind of music. You know, totally his, his voice has, has been there from a really, really young age. You know? That's great. Um, and then Ben has a couple of really cool tunes on here. There's this one, No Thank You, Mr. West, which we play, which is really exciting. Like, Ben has been writing these um, uh, fast tunes using a lot of fives and also making these really kind of intricate drum parts for, for Nate to play. Almost all of Ben's songs have like a specific drum part. It's like, here's what, what goes for this tune. And this one, Mr. West, like towards the end, uh, there's like, Nate is really doing something different in each limb. And the hi hat is on the like the sixteenth off note, uh, the off sixteenth. So nothing is really sounds like it's on the beat. I don't even know what it sounds like. If someone listens to it, it just sounds like whatever. But it's kind of a, it's amazing that Nate can you know 
play these really difficult parts and then make it sound so relaxed and and he totally nails it on the recording just like right from start to finish it's like really really strong is that a Kanye reference or uh, yeah it yeah. is actually <laughs> there's a story you know Ben's uh, wife uh, Marisa Cooney is a violinist and uh, professional violinist and she does all kinds of things playing wise but for a while she was playing with Kanye West in the string section and um, that came up in one of uh, an interview that Ben was doing about us and this dude made kind of like, you know, it was like a passing reference. He's, you know, Ben mentioned something about it. And then the, when the article came out, it was like a small paper, like Tucson or something. And then that was like the focus of the whole article, you know? So anyhow, I was like, oh, okay, we shouldn't have said Kanye. That's more interesting than anybody. We should have left that out. What about us? So that that's what that is. But that that's a favorite tune of ours. Like, that's... Such a really uh, cool tune. Adam plays a great solo on that. I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm now going to edit out the entire rest of everything you said and just leave this whole song about Kanye. I hope that's not a problem. Shane Inslee says Kanye West. <laughs> Kanye yeah. West hates jazz musicians. That's what Shane Inslee <laughs> Right. Perfect. Start the fire. Well, that's right. Um, what else do we have on here? Uh, Adam has a couple really cool songs. Uh, Unforeseen Influences is one of his that we use a lot. That was one of his that he kind of wrote, I think, sort of along the lines of my tunes, where it's like, here's these like few sections, and we're going to use this like freeze everything and keep going cue to like really manipulate it. So it's going to be, the structure's wide open, and we just kind of keep going through these four different sections of the song. And so in the studio, when you guys were playing these things, were you using those same that same cue structure, for mm -hmm. example, on that tune? So yeah, that if you listen back, like if you listen straight through the record, you'll hear like little phrases that come back over and over again. Some people have noticed it, like at gigs or on records, and like, what is that? Is it like a like a motif that you use through everything? Is that some like compositional thread or something? And it, it's not. It's just those like those little phrases yeah. where we're like very directly communicating to each other. Like you take the solo, everybody else plays soft. Uh, we're going to go up a step and play, but we're going to change it to slower, ready, go, you know. So there's, that musically gets some um, passed back and forth quite a bit. And that seems like, of course you'd be doing this anyways, but, but it seems like it must really uh, compel listening inside the band. I mean, everyone has to be on their toes at all times. Right? That's right. That's a really good observation. Yeah, that, that is very, very true. Because anyone can play it, you know. So even if you're, like, taking a solo and your eyes are closed and you're going for it, in the zone, whatever. Still, somebody behind you can play one of these little things, and, and in an instant, all of a sudden, it's like a new key and a new tempo and some other song. Like, right. fast. Like, five <laughs> seconds later. And so if you miss it, you really miss it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you're really like, whoa, everybody's doing one thing, and I'm not doing that. So, it's been a great, it's been a great master that way. It's like, you have, we all have to listen to each other all the time, you know, all the time, otherwise we'll that fear of missing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just overrides. Right. Like, oh, don't miss, don't miss. <laughs> you know, but it's been—it's good. It really helps the band just in general, just to stay in tune with each other when we play. Absolutely. Yeah.
talk uh, a little bit about some of the other things that you personally um, have going on? Like I know uh, these things will already have passed by the time this airs, but for the next couple nights, um, you and another one of your bands are going to be uh, playing here in town. Talk about that. That's right. Yeah, all of us keep busy as uh, band leaders and sidemen still. Like me, bodies like maybe a third of what we do professionally, performing-wise. And yeah, I'm particularly excited right now. Like I, I made that one record of my own that I mentioned earlier called Second Guess, and that that record's like. What is that, eight years old now or something? And I yeah. haven't, Kneebody has been my you know, venue for writing and contributing in like a sort of leadership role. But so now finally it's like I've, it's like I gotta record my own thing. So I'm finally doing it. So I have two nights to play at the Jazz Gallery here in New York and um, then record for two days afterwards. And I'm calling this new project The Music Band. And it features uh, Craig Taborn on piano. Uh, Matt Brewer on bass and Ted Poor on drums, and those guys are all some of my really favorite, you know, musicians in New York. And um, it's a few new things written specifically for them, and a couple things that I've written over the last few years but never recorded. And um, I'm going to self-produce that and release that on a new upcoming uh, Kneebody label, which we plan on creating. I think we're going to call it maybe Low Electrical Records or something like that. And in the beginning part of uh, 2011, maybe uh, early February, I want to have my record come out and you know launch this new Kneebody label where we can put all our Kneebody records and all like uh, affiliated side projects like my solo stuff, Ben Wendell's solo stuff. Adam has a few solo piano records which are really great, and we can start to house all those in one place. You know, so that's me. I, I have this coming up. Um, Adam Benjamin just finished a new solo piano recording just recently, which sounds really great. This is his sort of his third. He has like two solo piano recordings, and then this first kind of solo thing he did called "It's a Standard 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 World," which he made completely on GarageBand, which is the music software that comes with any Mac, you know, computer like consumer software. And he uh, he did really funny and slash brilliant, you know, interpretations of jazz standards. Thirty-seven of them. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious, Barry Sachs patch way down. I don't know. It's just, it's such a cool thing. And uh, Ben Wendell, our tenor saxophone player, he's really developing more and more as a band leader. In the last couple of years, he released a uh, his first kind of solo record on um, Sunnyside just recently, and he's been doing gigs with his own band here in New York, playing at the Jazz Gallery and the Iridium, and doing a little bit of touring off of that record. And so he's quickly, uh, after having recently relo relocated here to New York. From Los Angeles is really quickly establishing himself as like a, a band leader and like a desired sideman in the jazz world here. He's been playing with uh, Kendrick Scott a little bit and Tigran Hamasian, who's like the yeah. virtuoso pianist, won the month competition. Actually, he and Nate, our drummer, both play in, in Tigran's band. They've been touring quite a bit with, with Tigran. Nate does his own records where he plays everything he plays bass, guitar, and plays like, part of my friendship, plays the shit out of him. Like, he's great and um, sings, writes these really beautiful songs, like he's a real, he's like one of the most complete musicians I've ever encountered, you know, he gets to do everything, and great, like, but he can do everything and then better than the rest of us, <laughs> pretty annoying actually, <laughs> on a day-to-day -day level, it's like, stop, you know, I'm glad he doesn't play trumpet, seriously, <laughs> but, uh, and then, and Nate also has been playing with uh, Taylor Hawkins, a drummer from the Foo Fighters, who has his own band called the Coattail Riders, and they brought Nate in on that to play guitar, and originally he was going to play some drums too, but now he just plays guitar and sings in Taylor's band. And Kaveh does a few different things. Like he lately has been playing with 
this like Italian super pop star. I think he's like the equivalent of maybe Bruce Springsteen or something for us for the Italians. This guy Luciano Ligabui. Yeah, I've seen some photos of those Yeah, so he goes and plays stadiums in Italy. Yeah. And then comes back and plays, you know, my mom's basement in Nebuy. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, where's the catering, bro? <laughs> That's right. No. Yeah, so it's cool. Everyone is like really... It's been an interesting thing in our band. That's been our main topic, you know, to jump to another topic. is like, uh, you know, for us, like everyone now we're in our mid-30s and people are doing really, you know, well, like individually, like... You know, getting these like cool opportunities and playing with great musicians, but we are getting busier. I got two kids now. Kaveh's got his baby coming, the end of this month, August, and um, so our lives are getting busier and it's getting hard to schedule anybody, which is a real priority for all of us. But it it gets tricky because other stuff gets booked first, and it's like, oh well, we only we don't have any time. Like, what are we gonna do? So that's that's kind of our crossroads where we're at as as a band right now. Like, we got nominated for a Grammy this year for the Ives record. We have this new Half Your Moment is out now in Winter Winter and we have some nice gigs kinda set up but we need to really, you know, kind of at a crossroads like, well we got some momentum and we really need to, you know, either take advantage or or I don't know what the alternative is. But we're just kind of at that thing. It's like, okay, we have some good stuff. Like we're really lucky to have, you know, some good things under our belt now and we need to, you know, be smart about that and handle it with care. Yeah. I gotta believe that the positive end of how busy all you guys are is you must, you must be bringing such a rich wealth of material and experience into every Nebody, uh, you know, recording and performance now, right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, we wouldn't want to change that. Like, given the choice to just like only play Nebody and not do any other stuff, like we don't want that. It's like we all really need to have those that variety. Mm. And yeah, really, it, people bring in like, especially since like Ben and Nate started playing with Tigran, like we really. They've been, T-Ron is like a real brilliant, brilliant uh, rhythm expert, or I'm trying to think of a better word, but like, he just has like, he's been a very dedicated student of like rhythm and complicated rhythms and polyrhythms, and and um, and so it's great, and like Ben and Nate have had to really deal with that because they're playing in his band, and then it starts to come into our band, and we all have to, you know, it's it's fun, like we get these new challenges when people like go venture out into the the world outside of Nibody and yeah. you bring back some nuggets of information.
So, uh, certainly someone will email me if I don't ask this question. Where did the band's name come from? Oh, yeah. That was a long struggle. Like, we were trying to think of a good band name. We had these like long, drawn-out, dorky band names. We couldn't settle on anything. And um, man, I really think it was for like, at least six months or something. We play a show. It's like, hey, thanks for coming, everyone. Uh, we're called the uh, Wendell Ensley Group. We were formerly known as Wendell, but you might have seen us as the Shane Ensley Quintet. But anyhow, we're looking for a new band name. And if anyone has suggestions, please just write them down. You know, it was like this desperate, you know, like, please help us. We don't know what we're called. So that was bad. And then finally, you know, like Ben Wendell's now wife and girlfriend was like, just call it anything. Just call it something short. You know, just call it, I don't know, Nebody. And she just kind of said it. It didn't make any sense. Well, actually, no, we had a tune called Nebody. I don't even know where that name came from. She was like, just call it Nebody. Just call it that stupid song. <laughs> Whatever. I think that's kind of the tone. I wasn't there. Call it your stupid song and stop talking about it. All right? And go play Monday Night Cake. <laughs> so then we were like, oh, Nebody. That's great. Well, for us, it is kind of perfect. Because it's nondescript, you know, like for us it's like, anybody doesn't suggest, I don't think it suggests anything in particular. Yeah. Except maybe Peabody. I don't know. <laughs> like, anybody's just like, well, what is that? That just makes you ask, what is that? It's not like, anybody Afro-Funk Orchestra or something. It's like, right. what is it? You know, you have to listen to find out. And that's, that's what we wanted. It's like, because we felt like our music is in between all these genres and it's unique. And we wanted to have a name that just like, left it undefined. And um, it's been like a blessing and a curse, you know, like I think for us, we'll be better off in the long run that we've kind of done, that we haven't called it something like, you know, jazz, fusion, rock, odyssey, classical, whatever. Right. You know, and overall it'll just be like, oh yeah, anybody just plays anybody music. That's what that is. But uh, along the way it's been, you know, we've, we've learned that it makes it tricky when you're trying to market music like that because it's not easy to just define it and like, four or five words, at least we can't, we don't feel good if we do that. And I, I think it is hard to just do that with our music. So the, the trick is along the way, it's like hard for us to like really get into, you know, bigger venues and and be able to kind of pull more people in and kind of let them know like, well, this is what you can expect. Like five guys, we're really good friends and the music's joyful and we have the system of cues. It's really astounding because we're changing everything on the fly and there's like loud parts and you kind of want to dance, but it's not really that, you know, it's like, so there's all this, you know, stuff that we want to communicating the music but it's you know it's been tricky for us like marketing wise like sure, how to yeah. you know just encapsulate that and like a little blurb you body so is there anything i didn't ask you about that you want to get man i feel like we i feel like we covered uh well one thing maybe to throw out a promotional thing uh for those in new york we have plans to do another residency in january like the one we did last january uh at the bleaker street theater and we've been uh at the kind of the, the brainchild of uh, Adam Schatz, who uh, he and his uh, couple people run an organization called Search and Restore, which promotes you know jazz shows here, and they're really young and enthusiastic and smart. And he's like, let's do a thing where it's anybody like four nights in a row, you know, just like that, a little bit old school. Like you guys can stake out territory and just do it every night, and the music's gonna get better and better and play four nights in a row. So we did it. It was great last year, and like a lot of people came, and we did. A collaboration each night. We did the Ives music with Theo one night. We did this uh, couple like hip hop uh, nights with this guy MC Bus Driver, who's like an incredible like super speed like lyricist. He's super bad from LA. So we did two nights with him and uh, Dan Weiss and Josh Roseman and Ben Monder joined us for one night. We kind of did a more like New York style, you know, jazz. Here's my tunes gig, which is also great. Those guys are such 
amazing voices. So we're, we're going to do another run of that, like January 26th through 29th. We're going to do it again, Bleecker Street Theater. And we're kind of lining up uh, who I was going to do it. Looks like Bus Drive will probably come back. And we're figuring out a couple other folks. So that's, that's, our, that's our big thing, New York-wise. It's on the horizon. Very cool. Well, my guest is Shane Ensley. He's part of the band Kneebody, and uh, their new album on Winter and Winter is called You Can Have Your Moment. And congratulations on uh, the band's success and your own individual success. It's been great to talk to you about it. Man, thanks so much for having us on the show. We really appreciate it. My thanks again to uh, Shane Ensley for uh, his hospitality and for appearing on the show. Shane and the band Kneebody have a new album out on Winter and Winter called You Can Have Your Moment. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session presented by All About Jazz, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com where you'll also find links to purchase the music you hear on the show and a donate button if you'd like to give something back. Please don't forget about the sponsorship opportunities if you'd like to become an underwriter of the Jazz Session. There are a number of affordable ways to do that and uh, get your word out to the thousands of people who listen to each show. Uh, Closing in rapidly on 700,000 downloads so far, and a million is not that far off, which is incredible to me, but uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that that's the case. My good friends in the Respect Sextet recorded the theme music for this show, and if you like what you hear at the beginning and end each week, you should definitely check out Farcical Built for Six, their new album. You'll find it at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo, and whose brother Jeff Vrabel, who's online at jeffvrabel.com, wrote the liner notes for the aforementioned Respect Sextet recording. 
Most importantly, of course, thank you for listening to the show. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.